Chapter Fifty Five of Moral Letters, Volume One by Seneca, translated by Gummier. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fifty Five on Vaisha's Villa. I have just returned from a ride in my litter, and I am as weary as if I had walked the distance instead of being seated. Even to be carried for any length of time is hard work perhaps all the more so because it is an unnatural exercise, for nature gave us legs with which to do our own walking, and eyes with which to do our own seeing. Our luxuries have condemned us to weakness. We have ceased to be able to do that which we have long declined to do. Nevertheless, I found it necessary to give my body a shaking up, in order that the bile which had gathered in my throat if that was my trouble, might be shaken out, or, if the very breath within me had become, for some reason, too thick, that the jolting, which I have felt was a good thing for me, might make it thinner. So I insisted on being carried longer than usual, along an attractive beach, which bends between Cumi and Servilius Vaisha's country house. Footnote. Cumi was on the coast about six miles north of Cape Mycenum. Lake Acheron, see below, was a saltwater pool between those two points, separated from the sea by a sandbar. It lay near Lake Avernus and probably derived its name from that fact. The Vaisha mentioned here is unknown. He must not be confused with Isauricus. and footnote so i insisted on being carried longer than usual along an attractive beach which bends between cumi and servilius vaisha's country house shut in by the sea on one side and the lake on the other just like a narrow path it was packed firm underfoot because of a recent storm since as you know the waves when they beat upon the beach hard and fast level it out but a continuous period of fair weather loosens it, when the sand, which is kept firm by the water, loses its moisture. As my habit is, I began to look about for something there that might be of service to me, when my eyes fell upon the villa which had once belonged to Vesha. So this was the place where that famous praetorian millionaire passed his old age. He was famed for nothing else than his life of leisure and he was regarded as lucky only for that reason. For whenever men were ruined by their friendship with Asinius Gallus, footnote, son of Asinius Polio, his frankness got him into trouble, and he died of starvation in a dungeon in A.D. 33, and footnote. Whenever others were ruined by their hatred of Sejanus, and later, footnote, i.e. after his fall, by their intimacy with him, for it was no more dangerous to have offended him than to have loved him, people used to cry out, O Vesha, you alone know how to live. But what he knew was how to hide, not how to live. And it makes a great deal of difference whether your life be one of leisure or one of idleness. So I never drove past his country place during Vesha's lifetime without saying to myself, Here lies Vesha. But, my dear Lucilius, philosophy, 
is a thing of holiness, something to be worshipped, so much so that the very counterfeit pleases. For the mass of mankind consider that a person is at leisure who has withdrawn from society, is free from care, self-sufficient, and lives for himself. But these privileges can be the reward only of the wise man. Does he who is a victim of anxiety know how to live for himself? What? Does he even know, and that is of first importance, how to live at all? For the man who has fled from affairs and from men, who has been banished to seclusion by the unhappiness which his own desires have brought upon him, who cannot see his neighbor more happy than himself, who through fear has taken to concealment like a frightened and sluggish animal. This person is not living for himself. He is living for his belly, his sleep, and his lust. And that is the most shameful thing in the world. He who lives for no one does not necessarily live for himself. Nevertheless, there is so much in steadfastness and adherence to one's purpose that even sluggishness, if stubbornly maintained, assumes an air of authority with us. I could not describe the villa accurately, for I am familiar only with the front of the house and with the parts which are in public view and can be seen by the mere passer-by. There are two grottoes, which cost a great deal of labor, as big as the most spacious hall made by hand. One of these does not admit the rays of the sun, while the other keeps them until the sun sets. There is also a stream running through a grove of plane trees, which draws for its supply both on the sea and on Lake Acheron. It intersects the grove just like a raceway, and is large enough to support fish although its waters are continually being drawn off. When the sea is calm, however, they do not use the stream, only touching the well-stocked waters when the storms give the fishermen a forced holiday. But the most convenient thing about the villa is the fact that Bayi is next door. It is free from all the inconveniences of that resort, and yet enjoys its pleasures. I myself understand these attractions, and I believe that it is a villa suited to every season of the year. It fronts the west wind, which it intercepts in such a way that Bayi is denied it. So it seems that Vesha was no fool when he selected this place as the best in which to spend his leisure, when it was already unfruitful and decrepit. The place where one lives, however, can contribute little towards tranquility. It is the mind which must make everything agreeable to itself. I have seen men despondent in a gay and lovely villa, and I have seen them, to all appearance, full of business in the midst of a solitude. For this reason, you should not refuse to believe that your life is well placed merely because you are not now in Campania. But why are you not there? Just let your thoughts travel even to this place. You may hold converse with your friends when they are absent, and indeed, as often as you wish, and for as long as you wish. For we enjoy this, the greatest of pleasures, all the more when we are absent from one another. For the presence of friends makes us fastidious, 
and because we can at any time talk or sit together, when once we have parted we give not a thought to those whom we have just beheld, and we ought to bear the absence of friends cheerfully, just because everyone is bound to be often absent from his friends even when they are present, include among such cases, in the first place, the nights spent apart, then the different engagements which each of two friends has, then the private studies of each and their excursions into the country, and you will see that foreign travel does not rob us of much. A friend should be retained in the spirit. Such a friend can never be absent. He can see every day whomsoever he desires to see. I would therefore have you share your studies with me, your meals, and your walks. We should be living within two narrow limits if anything were barred to our thoughts. I see you, my dear Lucilius, and at this very moment I hear you. I am with you to such an extent that I hesitate whether I should not begin to write you notes instead of letters. Farewell. End of chapter 55